0: I'm Dan Rundy. I hold the Schreier Chair here at CSIS. This is another edition of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm here with Jim Harmon, who's the chairman of the Egyptian American Enterprise Fund. He wears several current hats, but he's also had several past lives that are absolutely fascinating. And we're going to be talking about the power of enterprise funds and the case study of the Egyptian enterprise funds uh, and what it means for – the United States, and what it means for the world. So, Jim, thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Tell us a little bit about your background. Tell me, you're the chairman of the Egyptian American Enterprise Fund, but tell me about some of the other things you've done in your career.
1: I graduated from Brown University. I was a major in English literature and a minor in art. I then went to graduate business school. I went into the investment banking field. And I was always active in international finance. And I became the chairman of the Schroeder-Wertheim Investment Banking Firm in 1986 and was chairman for 10 years. And then I accepted the invitation to join the Export-Import Bank of the United States. And I was chairman from 1997 to 2001. When I finished at XM Bank, I graduated, as I like to think, from the public sector. I then became the chairman of the World Resources Institute, and I continue to be this for 12 years. I've been the chairman of, of WRI, and then I became the chairman of the Egyptian American Enterprise Fund five years
0: ago. That's great. Tell me about how did you end up being asked to be the chairman of the Egyptian American Enterprise Fund? And did you know what an enterprise want fund was before you got the phone call?
1: It is interesting to note that during the 1990s, when they were forming all the European enterprise funds, I was a chairman of XM Bank, and I would not have known exactly what an enterprise fund during that period of time i did travel to some 70 plus countries all but four i had never been to before much of the frontier and developing world and yet i did not know anything about enterprise funds or what they were doing i sometimes wonder about that but certainly the lessons learned in at xm bank led me to form what would be my next business, which was the Caravel Fund, which was a private business to invest in the equity in a number of publicly owned companies in the frontier and emerging markets, which I started in 2004. But I did not know until I got my first call from Michael Froman, uh, the White House, and Tom Nides at State, which would be about five or six years ago, to would I be interested in the Enterprise Fund.
0: Just describe a little bit, what is an Enterprise Fund for our listeners?
1: Enterprise Fund is has a, a mission to help grow the private sector in the chosen countries that it's in with a view towards increasing job opportunities and hopefully improving the quality of life mostly investing in equity, which most of these countries don't have. They have more debt financing coming in. And we we like to think also helping to build relationships between that country and the United States.
0: So talk about why were enterprise funds stood up in the 1990s and where were they first focused
1: Enterprise funds, of course, was to the credit of Bush One and his team at Treasury. They created the idea of an enterprise fund. I don't think they had been done in the United States before that. Um, And they were very ambitious, chose to do what amounts to 10 or 11 enterprise funds in some 17 or 18 countries, starting in the early 1990s, with a view to assisting those countries in the transition from the Soviet Union to the the private sector. That was a a major task in that number of countries. And also, most of these countries didn't have any private sector. So you had to create a private sector and also do it in a way that was sustainable. The United States would hopefully get its money back and would lead to all sorts of other good things. Uh, Very ambitious, very good idea. Not executed quite as well as what, um, as I look back on that period, as probably as they could have been.
0: In some ways, it may have, I don't want to call it poisoned the well, but it may have impacted the way some policymakers looked at the concept of enterprise funds as a result.
1: Yes, I think what happens in a program like that is the few bad experiences, especially in the public sector, that are, were embarrassing, cast a pall over the entire program. So the good programs led by some very good people who I actually was friendly with but didn't know exactly what they were doing because they didn't tell the story. John Berklin, who ran the Polish Fund, who was also then chairman of Dylan Reed, he and I knew each other well. We were both trustees at Brown University, and he never once discussed with me actually the whole thing, so I never knew about that. He did a very good job on the Polish American Enterprise Fund, but the good stories got somewhat tarnished by some of the bad experiences.
0: But mostly, from our experience, and we are going to be publishing a paper about the role of enterprise funds, but if you look at the totality, I guess there were about 15 of them, I guess more or less, maybe, more than a dozen or so of these. Most of them were very big successes. They were so successful that the United States didn't know what to do with the profits. They'd never had an experience before where they had set us created an investment fund and then had generated so much profits that the U.S. government didn't know what to do with them. And so one of the one of the debates and there's actually still a debate with one of the enterprise funds the one in russia about what do you do with the profits of these and so in, a, in at least a half dozen cases the u.s set up country foundations in the some of the money went back to the u.s treasury to pay off to thank the american taxpayer to et cetera but some of the additional profits over and above what was borrowed you know used from american taxpayer funds were then used to set up foundations in countries where the United States was going to have a different kind of a relationship in the future. So there wasn't a moving from a foreign aid relationship to a trade and cooperation relationship and standing up a foundation in Poland, for example, or a foundation in the Baltics. That could be a platform for further cooperation between the United States and that
1: country, right? So if I might say, I don't want to spend a lot of time criticizing the past, but we, we did not in those years memorialize the record keeping of what happened to those enterprise funds in the kind of way that they could present to me when I was asked to take on the Egyptian fund, the kind of records of what happened in those countries. And so when I asked for information, only then did they go back and review the European enterprise funds. And literally, two years later, I got a report on the European enterprise So this enterprise was the investment. US government. This is the US government did not do a good job of keeping records on what took place in these countries and how it was done, first thing. Second thing, even now, there's all sorts of numbers that are soft numbers. How many jobs are created? I don't really believe some of the numbers that were mentioned. Um, And even on return of capital, um, about a, a billion 100 million dollars was invested in what amounted to 11 enterprise funds and i i think that no one has an exact number of what we've got back that we have gotten back substantially most of that billion one is is probably correct as the best of my due diligence that i've done in some countries like poland we did we had profits and we did, of course, return that to to the uh, legacy foundation that was formed. Uh, But it's very hard even now to get exact numbers on what happened in that program.
0: Tell me about, you got a phone call, why was there a sense that we needed to stand up an enterprise fund in Egypt?
1: What I found out is if you've had a financial background and you've been at an agency where you've been confirmed, it, isn't, it is very common for the United States government to ask for people like myself to come back in and take on assignments. So this is maybe the third or fourth assignment that they asked me to do, some more short term. I was the U.S. representative to the G20 finance ministries. We took a year study group to report to the ministers of finance on capital flows to Africa.
0: This was in the Obama administration? This is
1: in the Obama administration. Yes, early part of the Obama administration. I took on that assignment. It was a particularly interesting assignment. We met all over the world, and we did study. And, and each country, uh, very good people represented. I was the U.S. representative. China had a head of its sovereign fund. We developed an interesting camaraderie among a lot of these people, and I still hear from often. I hear from them. Unfortunately, this is an example of public sector uh, unfortunate experiences the head of the G20 finance ministry moved the following year to, I think, Mexico, and he had no interest in, in capital flows to Africa. So nothing was done with the study we did. But we all learned a lot from it.
0: Well, yeah, that is one of the problems with this G7 and G20 processes, that whoever has the presidency of it, it's generally a one-year thing, they have sort of their issues. It's just
1: that so, there's a tyranny of the calendar. That's correct. So, for example, in at some point in time... Um, I think maybe you could say even the administration I was part of, the Clinton administration should have said, look, what's happened in the enterprise funds? How much did we get back? What were the results? Let's write a report so future administrations could weigh whether they want to use an uh, an enterprise fund again. To the credit of, um, in this case, the Obama administration, they did look at the enterprise funds, even though they were created by the Republicans under Bush one, and they said this is a good idea. Let's do it in Egypt and in Tunisia. Then a group of them got together to decide to ask me to take that on. But we didn't follow them close enough. I'm determined in the work that I'm doing now, if there's anything I'm determined to do, is to memorialize it, which is why I'm glad to have today's conference with you, Why writing things so that future... Generations, as they look upon it, will find what did we do right and what did we do wrong in Egypt, and how could that help us in other countries who want to do this.
0: So let's talk about – so you got the phone call, and they said, we need you to do this, uh, to chair this, uh, this new fund. So what happened then? And then did the Obama administration go to the Congress and ask for money, and, and how long did that take? So did it take – I get the sense it took some time to stand it up, not because of anything you did, but either because of the way the public sector works or
1: because of the Congress. No, legislation was passed, actually. Uh, John Kerry led it in December of, of – 2011? December of 20, 2011. So this was the
0: response to the yes. Arab Spring.
1: Right. And then in t- 2012, they started um, – they approached me then in January, but they had already – funds had been authorized. But even on that issue, there was confusion. The the members of Congress who drafted the legislation thought that this was going to be $60 million for Egypt each year, subject to results. And if you ask the White House, they said it's a $300 million program. So it was unclear as to how much. It's very difficult to build a business like an enterprise fund, which is really a business, Unless you know how much money you have. So, how do you make an investment when you don't know what it is? I don't mean to be critical of the White House during that time, but when they asked me to take it on, they could have done things, could have been better organized. But I asked for all the papers and sp- Studies that were done leading them to this, I got very little. It was six months later that I found out that AID had done a study of, of the merits of doing an enterprise fund in Egypt, and the reason it wasn 't shared with me at the time is because AID thought that they could run the enterprise fund, and the state department actually says they thought maybe they had the people who could make the investments, so neither one would have been appropriate, but it was it didn 't give me a lot of comfort as a result of that. I didn't make a decision to take it on until May, even though they asked me in January. So four months were lost there, and it took us from the time I took it on. I went right away to Cairo um, and made a trip that was very informative. Then, um, is this when you had the, you were you were trapped in a car for
0: several hours? Yes, Talk, tell us about that.
1: Yes, that was one of my first two trips. That was before Mal joined me, but I took with me a um, wonderful young woman from the State Department who today is running for governor of Maryland, Interesting enough, and also one of my assistants who was Egyptian who followed Egypt for my day job funds, And the three of us and several people on the security side, um, left in a car that fortunately did not have a flag but had a State Department marked on the side, and they drove right into, by the square where we were heading for a meeting with the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood, oddly enough, that evening, um, and cars were stopped, and there was a lot of violence taking place, And but they said to us in the car not to get out, because we would not make it to the edge of the the road. And when the tear gas would come, we could recirculate the air, which we could. So uh, two and a half hours in tear gas surrounded by violence. Of course, the first thing you do is you look at your than my BlackBerry uh, because you try to think of something else. And it it was always humorous to me that the first email I looked at was from my dentist who was reminding me that Monday morning I had an appointment at 9 o'clock. I thought I should only get to that appointment at 9 o'clock. I, I can't uh, wait to uh, see yeah, the yeah, dentist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I was concerned about the younger people in the car who were very uneasy about it. But we got through that and we did meet with the Brotherhood and I remember the evening very well because I was extremely forceful and explain to them. If you they they wanted, of all things, to propose that the Brotherhood form a partnership with the Enterprise Fund. They would match us for funds and we would invest together in Egypt. And I said, if my experience will last five hours here in terms of the violence, if you are encouraging that, no one is going to invest in Egypt. So the first thing you have to do is bring stability. And I gave well-known leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, a real lecture. We left there at 2.30 in the morning, came back to the hotel, and I thought, this is not going to be an easy job. Uh, Not only was it difficult because of the violence, but I realized after that first trip that the U.S. was not well-liked in Egypt, not only not well-liked among a lot of young people, but also about the business community. So this was a particularly tough task to start a business investing in Egypt.
0: So you started with a lot of hiccups in terms of that you've just described, given sort of those challenges, and if they were going to implement an enterprise fund, what did you do to sort of work around some of those challenges? Because you had a number of things that you did to sort of a, to confront those challenges. So
1: the first thing we did is we knew enough after a first visit or maybe the second visit, that we, we couldn't do what other enterprise did in terms of finding an American executive. I could have taken the leadership from GE, and they couldn't have run an enterprise fund.
0: So, so sorry, just just if we played back the tape 20 years to 1992 or 1993, the business model was we're going to call up in the Polish-American fund, we're going to call up a Polish-American, we'll, we'll reach out to Polish-Americans or prominent business leaders and say, your country needs you, and we need you to, to do this on a, on, a, on a sort of a charitable basis and help stand up an enterprise fund. What you're saying is, in this case, Fast forward the tape 20 years in Egypt that you couldn't have, if I could put it this way, sort of typical Americans. You needed somebody, you needed
1: something else to do this correctly. I'd say it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that what they had done in the 1990s were mo- almost all, in every enterprise case, they appointed an American who was not necessarily from the, a family from the region. in my country. He's just an American who did investment banking work. Right. In Poland, they got this a good Dylan guy headed, former head and, Dylan and placed him there. No, no. He was appointed the chairman. Ah, okay. The chairman, you could have an American like I chair. That's different. But to be the, in, to lead the effort on making the investments the investment to, to manager. identify what's Important in the country, what's important to to show reasonable returns at? What's important for development? You needed someone who knew that country well. Ideally, we found right away that you needed an Egyptian there. But in prior enterprise funds, they would put. They thought they needed a good investment bank and corporate finance man. So they took someone who did a lot of deals, could have very bright, and you put them into these different countries. Now, because in those days, those countries were very dependent upon a relationship in the United States whether it was Poland or Bulgaria or, or any of them, they all felt close to it. So you didn't have the kind of violence confrontation between countries. It was therefore you could put Americans in there who knew it would have been better to put someone there if they had the human capital, but things were totally different. In fact, I realized then you had to Egyptianize the business the enterprise fund. You have to Egyptianize it. And for future enterprise funds, you have to think about that. So everyone who works in our asset management business, which they own, and they have incentive to build, are Egyptians. And in New York, under Amal on's leadership, we now have three very important people who are running the New York operations, but everybody's Egyptian. And the same thing we did with one exception on the board directors. So Do you have an Egyptian board of directors? We have a board. No, by legislation, we have to have a board of the Enterprise Fund, six American citizens and three Egyptian citizens. That's the legislative requirements. I would would do it differently again. At that time, that was only whatever it is. Five years ago. Five years ago. The White House gave me a list of 20 names, and the Egyptian government gave me a list of 20 names. And so I looked at them, and some of them I met could do it and some couldn't. And so they were flexible. And I got to a point. So I knew right away that um, someone who recently was in this administration, Dina Powell, would be a very good board member. She's Egyptian. by background and she came out of the Republican administration so she could help me on that side. I knew right away that um, several Egyptian Americans who were in the private equity world, who were very capable people, could do the job on the board so we changed the board around that board has been very engaged in what we're doing and very helpful and some of them go with me on trips some of them come to washington any number of them could run the could take my job i think they're very capable people but i come back to it they got to know ashraf zaki and felt that was the right move and ashraf built a team that was the first 10 jobs we created in egypt for that asset management business. So then I knew we could build a business with the right board, with the right management. And the only difficulty is what I said here, under the structure in which we didn't get $300 million, we got $60 million, And the next $60 million was subject to holes. And in every case in the first two years, we got holes. So we couldn't get the additional money. Very hard to make an investment when you don't know how much money you have, and of course, everybody in Egypt would read about the fact that so-and-so put a hold here, so-and-so put a hold on. So when I went to visit the businesses we were investing in to do our task of helping the private sector to grow, the sellers or the management of those Egyptian companies said, are you in business? We we understand. We read in the papers. You, You don't have any money. Also, I don't want to be owned by AID. That's the common term, they should say. And as you may, may know, when you are using funds that come through AID, you're supposed to put on the investee's company's front door a little sign that funding came from AID. American people. And that's the right do, way to do it. But you have to manage this relationship. You can't come in with a hammer and tell Egyptians or tell any country that this is the way we expect you to do it. So it takes a little bit of um, finesse. Yes. Uh, Jim,
0: I think just talk a little bit about just two things first of all you you're not being paid a dime to chair this
1: board that's correct so
0: nobody on this board is getting paid that's correct they're all volunteers that's correct so you're putting in a lot of time you're probably you know your depends on the day you've put a lot of blood sweat and tears into this not for you're not getting any financial return you're doing this out of public service right yes. and everyone who's done this has done this out of public service
1: yes that's right
0: So there are people getting paid, but board members, just so we're clear, this is not a remunerative thing. This is a public service thing, right? That's correct. The other thing I I wanted to emphasize was that there is certainly USAID, who is the institution in the U.S. government that has sort of stewarded or helped stand up the enterprise funds with a lot of help from volunteers like yourself, and then finding the (laughs) right kinds of arrangements of, of investment managers or others to help do this on the ground. They're not the only money in this, though, right? I mean, there's you've been able to attract private money to this fund. Is that correct?
1: Yes, not to, to the fund. We learned earlier on, I thought initially that we could convince other Arab countries and maybe Asian countries with heavy Muslim populations to join with us and that we would create for the first time an Arab, Asian, European enterprise fund run by the Americans. That was my idea. And I went to lots of ambassadors here and lots of other countries and said, join with us in Egypt. You care about Egypt. You've invested in Egypt. And we're going to make this effort. And they said, we don't want to be part of an American enterprise fund. We will invest in deals with you a deal by deal basis if we like the deal. But we're not going to join the fund. And for example, in our fund, the enterprise fund, when we have a sale of an asset, the money gets reinvested in the fund. And they said, we we don't want to reinvest all of our proceeds from the sale. We want to take it back home if we make a profit. Secondly, we don't like your fee schedule. Your fees are much less than the market. We charge bigger fees. And they had lots of reasons not to join us. So first year, I got shot down by every country I went to uh, to join us. But my experience was, I went to the then Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, and I said, I need someone to help me with these countries. She said, what do you want? I said, I'd like you to be my marketing director, I quotes around it. And she said, OK, give me the seven countries. I remember the meeting very well because she had 15 people in the room, and I gave her these countries. And she made the first call to the Qataris. And the Qataris said, interesting, meet with you this week. And they sent over the head of their sovereign fund. We met with them in New York. And he said, to oh, my surprise, we'll match you. How much are you going to put up? I said, $300 He says, we'll put up $300 million. Dollar for dollar, only after the Congress approves each tranche. They had the wisdom to know that we could have holes. I didn't even know we could have hold after hold after hold. So that was their only condition. Otherwise, they come with us. And I remember calling the State Department. and saying, uh, you should tell the secretary that she's a pretty good marketer. And my next life in the next fund I form, I want to get either the Secretary of State or the President of the United States to be my marketing director yeah. because you don't have to work hard to raise money. Unfortunately, as soon as the Muslim Brotherhood was out of power in Egypt, they called me and said they're out.
0: The Qataris said they're yeah. out. But, you did, but you've been able to. You have $300 And So tell me about... In addition to finding additional outside funders to, to work with you, you've made some investments.
1: Yes. And in, in the funding that we've gotten from the outside is very important what we've done. We first knew that we had to find a way to make funds available to SMEs, Small and Middle-sized Enterprises in Egypt, and to some of the smaller private families and so forth. Um, and how to do that, we said the fastest way would be to buy a bank. And get the bank to take the risk. Most Egyptian banks were not taking the risk because the interest rates they could get off treasuries was 18 to 22 percent. So, why would you make a loan when you can get 18 to 22 percent in currency um, from Egyptian treasury bills? So, no one was making funds available to SMEs. And so, we tried to buy a bank and we studied it. We picked the bank, perfect size for us. We could have done it. We negotiated it with seller, was a Greek. Parent company, they agreed to sell it to us. Unfortunately, the chairman of the central bank rejected us because he thought of us as private equity. When we really have a mission, which is more than that, nep- we're not trying to maximize returns. We want to return the money to the American taxpayer. But we want to. We have a development mission, so we're completely different than private equity. But he rejected us. So a year that took us a year, we lost trying to do that deal. Um, We had agreed to buy that bank for $75 million. Interestingly enough, the bank was sold a year later for $135 million to the Kuwaitis. So we would have had a profit and we would have done a good job. But right away, I said to Ashraf, Ashraf, we're not going to buy a bank. We're not going to be allowed to buy a bank." So, what's the biggest consumer finance business and he came up with sarwa which was a very successful consumer finance business and we made a very significant investment our first and large our second investment actually was about 56 57 million dollars and that has led us to be able to provide funding to smes so over the life of that SAR so was, in the last what, 15 or so years, they have provided some $600 million to SMEs and to private um, parties. And so they've already done it. And that's a whole separate story that we don't have time to talk about. But so I want to say that the first investment we made was very fortuitous. Uh, it was in a company called Fowry, which is an electronic payment service that's uh, um for those Americans, think about PayPal as one form. The, most Egyptians, less than about 10% of the Egyptians, have a bank account. Maybe 20% of them. Um, actively use it, but banks are not used efficiently like we think about it in the Western world. Um, so if you could, in many parts of the world, inc- Egypt included, you have to wait in line a long time just to pay your utility bill or pay any of your bills. So this would allow them to to go to a, a, what we think of as a kiosk, but a payment location. Fowry has been so successful since we went into it, but even beforehand, they now have 70,000 payment terminal. So you could go into it like a kiosk. They are now working with 25 million Egyptians. That's 25% of the population. On their way towards, my judgment, half the population will use Fowry services to pay bills, to draw some money out, to pay for all sorts of things that they need. It has changed the quality of life for the average Egyptian in a significant way. If there is ever an example of a development investment, this Fowry Company is it growing right now at 30% per annum and making the quality of life so much better for the Egyptians, and we're making money on that. So if we were a pure private equity business we would have put $100 million into it. As it turned out, we wanted to bring in two institutions who had never invested in Egypt before. One is a very large sub-Saharan mm-hmm. Africa, private equity business called Helios, and the other is the welcome trust from the UK. They put up $80 million. We put up $20 million, approximately $20 million. And so for $100 million, we took a major, major position in Fowry, and it has been an immense success.
0: Well, you've talked about the, the fact you need to Egyptianize the board. You needed a professional... Investment Egyptian investment professionals. No. What is your take? Should we be should we be sca- should we be using enterprise funds in other parts of the world, Jim?
1: I often say enterprise funds conceptually back in 1990 w- were the right on target. They were a little. In some ways, they were ahead of their time. Yeah, i was just going to say they were a little early, and the problem was an execution. That the you, you can have a wonderful idea, but if you have the wrong people delete it, it's not going to succeed. So. If you look back on those enterprise funds, uh, maybe six or seven of the 10 at best uh, were the right people, uh, and some were not. And those which were not ended up embarrassing us a little bit, and that prompted the people on the Hill and the Congress to get a bit turned off from enterprise funds because they were political appointees who weren't qualified to run, to build a business, to do the job. So great idea, maybe a C plus best of B minus on execution should, should have been an A because it was very doable. And we have the private sector people that can build those enterprise funds in all those countries, easily could have done it. We shouldn't have had any of the embarrassing positions we had in a few of those failures. But it, the answer is we can do it in other countries, and we can learn from the past. Yes, we can learn from the past.
0: We've got a, it's a different ball game now. There's an, there's a private equity industry in the emerging markets. There's things like the Emerging Market Private Equity Association, MPEA. that didn't exist 20 years ago. You've got t- tens of thousands of graduates from MBA programs in emerging economies, or hundreds of thousands who speak fluent English, have studied in the in OECD countries. There has been a recognition of the power of private equity in emerging economies.
1: It's a it, different ballgame from 25 years ago. Yeah, it's a a big difference. The amount of, of funding available today is such the U.S. doesn't have to put up as much money in each country. By putting up a modest amount, they give it the stamp of approval, so to speak, credible and then you can raise private sector funds to join with you. So right now, lots of deals that we will do in the remaining funds that we have on the enterprise fund will come from other private equity businesses and from some strategic investors who haven't thought about Egypt, but which we, we've we been able to convince some American companies to think about Egypt at this particular time. So the U.S. hasn't done a great job of, of um, uh, leveraging the very successful private business that we have in the United States. We have the strongest private sector in the world. And that has made our country as great as it is. But we haven't done a good job of leveraging that expertise to help us in the developing and frontier world. That's what we have to do in the next 10 years. And one way to do it is by creating enterprise funds in a number of countries and using the U.S. private equity experience and private business experience to help build those businesses in those countries.
0: Jim, what what closing thoughts do you have for us? I mean, is there if you are if you're at the White House right now, whether it was a, a Trump administration or a future Democratic administration, or you're a senior leader at AID or you're a, con- a congressional staffer, what message would you have about enterprise funds? Should you know what 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 do you want folks to understand about them?
1: I'd like them to take the time that you have done to listen to what our experience has been, of course, in Egypt, so they understand what we have learned. So it's very important. You cannot put Americans in every position in these countries. The rest of the world doesn't really want us to lecture them on how to run their business. But you can take very talented people who are nationals from the country together with uh, our own leadership, and we can have the right people to manage it. I I would say that what we've come upon— um, if it can be done where you let that management team create their own management company. So we don't have to pay them a lot of money because we're going to be paying them to manage our assets. That gives them an interest in their own business in that country. as grow did, it. To, to grow it to grow it and build people and build talent so we have 10 or 12 people right now in the in the Egyptian management company which is owned by those 10 or 12 people not by us we pay a fee we have the right to go to other management companies we're not blocked but those people have real incentive to do a good job and to build equity capital so they become the models when they go out and say to the fowlries and the Sarwars, well, we are self we ourselves own our own business because we have this relationship. We're building our own equity capital. So where you can – what the goal here is to build the private sector in each of these developed and frontier countries, and in doing so, create jobs. We've created 700 jobs to date, but we will have a much larger number in time. We, we,
0: 24, 36 months from now, you're going to have a much larger number. Yes. I also think, Jim, the other thing that I'm taking away from this conversation is – there's an, a massive amount of private capital. There are billionaires you know in developing countries such as the Sawiruses are just one of dozens of Egyptian billionaires. The amount of private capital there's an emerging middle class in many of these countries or an emerged middle class. They have money either you know in all sorts of different assets and that money's available so there's lots of local savings to your point about there's tons of private capital. There isn't, it isn't just American private capital. I think that's different than 25 years ago where the capital that the American taxpayer put in was a much bigger part of the pie. In these emerging economies, it's a, it's catalytic money, and it's about leadership, catalyzing, taking some risks, and shining a light on an opportunity, and bringing other funders and and leveraging the local expertise in these countries to get jobs and get the private sector going in a country, right? That's, that's the new model. Yes,
1: Hank, that's absolutely so. But there's talent in each of these countries, all to various different degrees. And that talent together with some of our own experience means that we don't need as much funding because we can bring the private sector along with us to do the job. But <laughs> it is very possible that we could have 10 enterprise funds right now. I know it was difficult. in 19. Yes, very likely you could have. Um, someday. I'd hope to, I hope to see two, two dozen
0: enterprise, five years from now, my hope, is that we have two dozen additional new enterprise funds in the near future because I, th- I agree with you.
1: Someday, other countries are going to follow our model. Probably not the Chinese. The Chinese have a different approach to, yeah. to this. But I would not be surprised the if Brits. the Germans, certainly, yeah. because they've been talking to me about the enterprise fund now on a regular basis. But certainly the Europeans, a- anyone who, wants, who cares a lot about development. And if you even care about your own exporter. I mean, why are we doing this? We're doing this one reason to national security, because the more we can create the private sector to be strong and more jobs are out there, the more secure we feel from a national security point of view. We're doing it for business reasons, because we are now introducing a major company into Egypt that never thought about Egypt before, and they're going to tie up. And I envision the Export-Import Bank in the United States doing more business in Egypt because of what we're trying to do there. So we will support more exports into Egypt U.S. gains national security, gains from a business point of view, and from a humanitarian point of view. So big gains on those three fronts. Other countries will feel the same way. Wouldn't it be wonderful if 25 years from now, 15, 20 countries all had their own enterprise programs, and they were all over the frontier developing world, creating jobs, creating what amounts to business for their own countries is a wonderful thing.
0: It's enlightened self-interest. Yes. Jim, I think, I think the other thing to, to note is you know, there, there's a whole – there's, there's a, I don't know if, if, if it's 60 countries or it's 80 countries, but there are several dozen countries that are going to make it. There are several dozen countries that are going to get rich. And, and I think it's in our interest as the United States to be seen as being a partner on the upside part of their trajectory. The country like Egypt has all the potential to be a, a wealthy country someday. There's a lot of capable people there there's emerging a middle class you know more there's you know they've got some challenges but i i'd like to be remembered i'd like it that the that egyptians 25 years from now say you know the united states was a good partner to egypt as as egypt became rich because the other thing is i think you talked about china my view is is the, what's diff- what's a different ball game from even 15 years ago is if the United States doesn't help countries meet the hopes and aspirations of those countries, they can take their business to the Chinese. That's, that's on the table right now, and that's a different ballgame than 15 years ago.
1: But I'd add to that, there are 2 billion Muslims in this world. We don't want to antagonize such a large population with our own restrictions on immigration and so forth. One way of doing that is to support those countries where they're heavily involved. No reason we can't do that in a way it doesn't cost the taxpayer anything. So exactly. we're capitalizing off the strength we have, which is our private sector. A lot of good would come if the program is done the right way. And nothing would make us happier if a lot of other countries follow us and model their own enterprise funds. That's all very positive.
0: Talk to a little bit about what's happening in Tunisia and why the enterprise fund is important in Tunisia.
1: So I think Tunisia it is a good illustration. Not quite as easy to do as Egypt because they don't have quite the private sector already in existence uh, in, in Tunisia, but still could be an important country. But they did a poll recently, which I, I'm often glad, glad to see that they did the poll, um, asking a large segment of the population whether prosperity or democracy is more important to you. of the answers said prosperity. Now, if you had done that in Rwanda, you would get the same kind of thing. Stability would be the word. People want stability. They want to have a job. They want to take care of their family. And that's the most important thing. After you become a little more wealthier, then you start caring about democracy. So we go around the world for a long time we the United States lecturing people on democracy, which is a good thing to do, but frankly, stability is the first step. Stabil- what we have in Egypt now, stability. they w- eventually will have in Tunisia here, and right now is going through a bit of a difficult moment there. But uh, if you have stability and you're creating jobs, you can get on human rights issues. But we tend to get ahead of ourselves in, in this regard. Um, so it's an important thing to remember: uh, the populations in these countries care a lot about safety, and about their own children, obviously, about jobs, about eating regularly, all the basic stuff first. And for that, they need stability. And that's what we help to do.
0: I agree. Well, Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Dan. I'm delighted that you have an interest. I think CSIS can play a very important role as we think through how to do this.